Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, world. This is Birdsong back with you for another week of entertainment and information. I'm so happy to be here with you. Lot to talk about this week. A lot of things in the news. And I will tell you some commentary and my opinions. You can email me at lbirdsong22 at gmail.com if you want to comment on what I say. I will call you back, or I won't call you back. I will talk about what you say on the radio and read what you have to say. Today we'll have some uh, dumb criminal law stories and a few riddles. We'll have a guest later on to talk about fear. But right now, let's get to the news. There's so much of it. Let's start with this story. Still no public apology from the White House on McCain. As many of you may know, Gina Haskell has been in the CIA for 33 years. She's up to be the CIA director, the first woman CIA director. Last week, it looked like she may not have the votes to get out of committee because many of the none of the Democrats wanted to vote for her because of her stand on torture after 9-11. In a staff meeting later that week where they were talking about the vote, supposedly or allegedly Kelly Sadler, one of the staffers in the communications department of the White House, said, who cares about the numbers? And who cares that uh, John McCain has come out against her? He's dying anyway. Well, that didn't go over well with a lot of people. Some people say that she should apologize. And we find that Megan McCain, John McCain's daughter, did get a call from Miss Sadler apologizing from her a few days later. Miss McCain says, I asked her to publicly apologize. She said that she would. I have not spoken to her since, and I assume that will it will never come, said Megan McCain. There has been no public apology from the White House. As you know, John McCain has been a senator for many years. He was a war hero. He was shot down over Hanoi. He was a naval aviator. He was imprisoned by the North Vietnamese for five and a half years. He never said anything against the United States when he was in prison. And uh, many people say that he is a war hero and he, the White House should apologize for what was said in that meeting. Well, again, there's no apology to this. I say, boo, how tacky can you be? Another story in the news, everyone's heard of this, that there is going to be a summit between North Korea and the United States set for June 12th. That's when, hopefully, the Trump administration would get some kind of agreement on non- or denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Last night, a few days, uh, last night, we learn that Korea, or North Korea, has been threatening to cancel this upcoming June 12th summit in protest over military exercises that are going on 
coordinated by Seoul in Washington. Now, these these things go on, these exercises go on every year. This is nothing new. However, what is not also not new is Kim Jong-un and all North Koreans have a way of negotiating whereby they take you to the brink and then they suddenly want to stop the negotiations. Now, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We do know some things from my from my uh, looking into what's happening. Why was Singapore chosen? Singapore is a country in Southeast Asia. It's in the Malay area, the Malaysian area. It's actually an island on their own. They got their independence from England in 1965. There are 5,300,000 people living in Malaysia. It's a very prosperous country, and I hear a very clean country. You cannot bring chewing gum into Malaysia. If you chew gum and throw it on the sidewalk, you can go to jail. Also, you can be put in jail for possessing drugs. A diverse population in the country, 74% of the people are China, of our Chinese descent, 13% Malaysian, 9% Indian, and 3% others. That takes in you to count Europeans and Africans, but supposedly a great place to live. Now, Singapore is on the equator. It never or it seldom gets below 68 degrees Fahrenheit, and usually the temperatures year-round are in the 80s. Now, I found out some things about going to Singapore. From North Korea, it's 3,076 air miles and six hours from North Korea, that is the capital, to Singapore. I found that the North Koreans do not have a plane that can go that distance without refueling. The problem is they have problems right now coming up with enough money for jet fuel. They would have to refuel <laughs> in South, in what used to be called uh, South Vietnam. It's now just Vietnam. Also, I've learned that and maybe some of you have heard this, that Kim Jong-un always travels with his own toilet. He doesn't use public facilities and facilities not known to him because he's afraid that his enemies might find out about his health by going through his waste material. You may have heard that he took two train trips, that is, Kim Jong-un took two train trips recently, to China, and he had his special toilet on that train. Boy, oh boy, what a story. I hope that the, I hope that the summit, summit between Trump and North Korea does materialize and that there is some settlement, <clears throat> but right now we see the North Koreans doing what they've always done, trying to ratchet up things by giving you a date, saying we'll do it, and then backing out. What else is in the news? Well, the 70th anniversary of the founding of the State of Israel was on May 14th, a Monday, the last Monday. Jared Kushner 
President Trump's son-in-law, who is also a Middle East advisor, headlined the U.S. delegation with his wife and fellow White House advisor, Ivanka Trump, as well as the Treasury secretaries, Stephen Mnuchin, and four Republican senators. It's a great day for Israel, tweeted Donald Trump. Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, said a great day for Israel, a very historic day. What they did, they moved the American embassy, which had been in Tel Aviv, which is the capital, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the 3,000-year-old city that Jews consider their Mecca. The problem is Palestinians and Arabs think that Jerusalem belongs to them, or at least part of it, and that's part of the problem. There was a great ceremony in Jerusalem by the American delegation. Many people came, but at the same time, a lot was going on at the Gaza Strip where thousands of Palestinians were rallying against this move because they want to have their homeland recognized as part of Jerusalem. As I read the facts here, on the 14th, by nightfall, about 55 Palestinians, including a young girl and four other minors, were killed in the rioting over the opening of the American embassy in Jerusalem. A horrible story. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, furious about the embassy ceremony, said he will not accept any peace deal proposed by the Trump administration. The Palestinian president also urged the international community to condemn what he said were massacres carried out by Israeli troops in Gaza. Our own Nikki Haley, who is our ambassador to the UN, says Israel has a right to protect itself or self-defense and they had to quell the rioting. Now, we have the fact that we know that Israel, or rather Egypt, an Israel ally, condemned the killings of Palestinian protesters while the UN human rights chief decried the shocking killing of dozens of unarmed people. What a sad story. Another fact for you. The Palestinians who seek East Jerusalem as their capital have cut off ties with the Trump administration, I've learned, and say the U.S. is unfit to serve as a mediator. Some of you may know that Israel cap captured East Jerusalem in the 1967 Mideast War and annexed the area in a move that is still not internationally recognized. Stay tuned to this story. It ain't over. To this one I say, boo. It's not good what's going on. However, the Israelis have their right to have their capital where they want, but they did not count on going to war over it. Stay tuned.
There's more news. The headline, Starbucks to workers, restrooms are open to all. Starbucks has told employees to let anyone use the restroom, even if they haven't bought anything. Now, they're doing this to review policies and trying to restore its reputation after the arrest of two African-American men at a coffee shop in Philadelphia back in April. The coffee chain wants all customers coming in to feel welcome, and it's conducting a three-month review of its guidelines that follow comments from Starbucks executive Howard Schultz, who said he didn't want people to feel less than if they were refused access. The arrests in Philadelphia were an embarrassment, very much of an embarrassment to Starbucks, which had long projected itself as a socially conscious company and has promoted its stores as a place for people to gather outside of their homes and offices. So now anyone can come to Starbucks and use the restroom even if they don't buy anything. To that I say, yay! (laughs) All right, like I said, there's so many things in the news to talk about. I don't have the time to talk about all of them, but there's one more story I want to talk about. Last week I told you that Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York and a former federal prosecutor in Manhattan, has been on the Trump team and going out saying things about uh, the Mueller probe and about Trump and what he has done with paying a porn star, getting great headlines, but seemingly getting the story completely wrong. I said it's the worst bit of lawyering that I've ever seen. Giuliani doesn't even know the facts and can't keep them straight. Well, we learned last week, here's the headline, Giuliani quits law firm citing full-time Trump work. President Donald Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, has parted ways with his law firm, citing the pressing demands of representing Trump in his special counsel's probe of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Now, I've worked with three different law firms, and I know how law firms work. I don't think he quit the firm. I think the firm quit him. He worked for or worked with a very impressive law firm called Greenberg Trowick in New York. He took a leave of absence to do some work for a couple of weeks for the president, and it's turned into a month. He's not bringing any money in to the law firm. When you're not bringing money into the law firm, they don't want you. I think they quit Giuliani for the silly things he said on the air and the embarrassment he brought to the president. I don't think he quit. I think they quit him. This is Birdsong. You heard it here. To this story, I say, boo. (laughs) Stick with us. There's more to come, folks. with you. This is Birdsong. Gave you some news of the week, in my opinions. Some of them boo, some of them yay. Let's talk about some dumb criminal law stories. 
use some stories from November of this past year. First one is from California. The headline reads, The High in This Higher Power Church. The High in This Higher Power Church. We learn that the Citadel Church of La Puente in Los Angeles, California, was raided in November 2017 for selling what? Marijuana, cannabis waxes, and cannabis edibles. Police report they found $30,000 in marijuana products inside the phony church, which has no license to sell marijuana. <laughs> the high in this higher power church. <laughs> All right. A couple of stories from Egypt. The first one. Headline. Shot in the gonads. A groom-to-be's last night as a bachelor ended with a bang when he was accidentally shot in the genitals. Osman L.R., 29, was out partying with his buddies when one friend fired off the celebratory gunshots. The victim was left seriously wounded with injuries to his penis, thigh, and hand, authorities report. It was not immediately known if he made it to the wedding. <laughs> Probably not a very good honeymoon night. <laughs> All right, another story from Egypt. Here's the headline. Hey, toots, count your blessings. We have recently learned that a newlywed woman filed divorce papers because her husband does all the housework and household chores. The 28-year-old woman, identified only as Maha M., said she hates living with the man because he acts, quote, like a housewife. She further complained, he doesn't let me touch anything in our house and does all the cooking, cleaning, and general household chores. Hey, toots, count your blessings, huh? <laughs> A story from Florida. Oh, so weird, says the headline. It has been reported that it's been reported by police that a naked man broke into an elderly woman's home and played dress up with her clothes. Joseph Vaglica, 40, of the town of Edgewater, Florida, allegedly dashed into the 82-year-old Sylvia Garman's home through her garage door. Vaglika went straight for her bedroom closet, then waltzed into the kitchen, and then waltzed into the kitchen for an unwelcome fashion show. Police were called, and he was arrested on a burglary charge. Oh, so weird. Another story out of Florida, the headline, The Business Bandit. It's been reported that the F it's been reported that the FBI is on the hunt for a dashing Florida crook who robs banks while wearing upscale business attire. The so-called business bandit sports a GQ-style driving cap, a tie, and a button-down shirt during his stick-ups. He has allegedly pulled off robberies at three Palm Beach County banks. No arrests have been made yet. All right, another story from Florida. What a doofus, says the headline. What a doofus. A young man was arrested for using his father's police car to harass his ex-girlfriend's new beau. Christopher Combs, 22, of Boynton Beach, Florida, 
allegedly hopped into his sheriff's deputy's father's unmarked Ford Taurus police car and pulled over his former flame's new love. Combs, who allegedly snatched the Bo's wallet, was arrested after the man recognized his voice. I don't know how that comes about, but that's what it says. Florida. It all came out in the end. A jail inmate denied stealing another inmate's cigarettes. However, a strip search by Crestview Correctional Officers revealed part of a blue latex glove protruding from the suspect's buttocks. When officers found six Marlboro cigarettes with the filters removed inside the glove, the 18-year-old was charged with theft. It all came out in the end, folks. <laughs> oh, my God, these stories never go away. Dumb criminals, huh? Story from Germany now. The headline. Biggest sex toy heist in history. It has been reported that thieves took $57,000 in kinky merchandise from a Berlin sex trade show. Fun Toys London, which set up a booth at the Venus exhibition, said workers realized that they had been ripped off when they discovered that nine boxes of erotic toys had vanished. Biggest toy heist in history? Could be. <laughs> Here's a sad one from Illinois. The headline. He robbed a hot dog stand, then accidentally shot himself in the wiener. We learned that a clumsy Chicago bandit gave himself the shaft when he tried to stuff his handgun into his pocket and it discharged, hitting his genitals. Terry and Pouncey, 19, allegedly barged into the original Maxwell Street Polish restaurant with a scarf over his face, whipped out a pistol, and demanded cash. He got the money, and he stuffed the gun in his pants, and it went off. He robbed a hot dog stand and accidentally shot himself in the wiener. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, there's, there's a few more here. This one from New Jersey. This luggage sounds messy. A Guatemalan man allegedly admitted smuggling chocolate-covered heroin into the United States in November on a flight into Newark Liberty International Airport. His name, Jacob Orellana Estrada, apparently smuggled the drugs in what looked like six-layer cakes he had stashed in his luggage. This luggage sounds very messy. Six layer cakes masquerading or masking heroin. What do I think of next? Here's one from Ohio. The headline simply read, Idiot. A would-be thief in Cincinnati warmed a gas station clerk, quote, We can do this the easy way or the hard way. But he apparently did not heed his own advice. Andrew Young, 52, allegedly waved a box cutter at the Speedway clerk, demanded cash, but the Speedway clerk immediately docked him out. We learn that Young appeared in court 
with a black eye and on crutches. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. How about this? A Pennsylvania story. On your way to jail, you're going. A man stole a wallet in a judge's chambers in the courthouse in an effort to pay court fees from two previous assault charges he had been slapped with. His name, Stephen Rago, 31, was discovered on surveillance camera stuffing a wallet into a pocket of his sweatpants near a payment window at the Allegheny Township District Court. Rago later admitted to stealing the wallet and returned it. Yes, he did go to jail. Finally, a story from Tennessee. The headline, Not a Leg to Stand On. A family attending a relative's wake got the shock of a lifetime when they discovered a stranger in his casket wearing the decedent's clothes. Workers at the Chattanooga Funeral Home insisted that makeup simply made the body of Benjamin Brown Jr. look different, according to a report. However, the relatives advised the funeral home that Mr. Brown was a double-leg amputee while the man in the casket had legs. They say the funeral director was dead wrong. <laughs> oh, these dumb criminal law stories never stop. You can buy some of my books with these dumb criminal law stories if you go to leonardbirdsong.com or to amazon.com. Just type in Professor Birdsong's Dumbest Criminal Stories. Here are some riddles. See if you can figure them out. They're all easy. First one, what starts with P, ends with E, and has a thousand letters? What starts with P, ends with E, and has a thousand letters? Now, that's not hard. Think about it. How, nope, I'm sorry. How do cats get over a fight? That's the second riddle. How do cats get over a fight? Finally, did you hear about the guy that invented breast fresheners? Did you hear about the guy that invented breath fresheners? You know the answers. Good for you. I'm going to come back at the end of the show and give you the answers. This is Leonard Birdsong. Stick with us. We've got a guest coming up. We're going to talk about fear and perhaps how you can get over it. Folks, back with you. This is Birdsong. We've talked about some news of the week, in my opinions, and I've read some of my dumb criminal law stories for this week. We now have a guest coming on. Jeannie Sanner is her name. She is a colleague, and she's been on the show before. She's an author. She also has a doctorate degree in spiritual studies. We're going to talk about fear. Jeannie, thanks for coming on again. This is Birdsong. How are you today? 
Odd Bird song, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. A lot of things in the news. I couldn't cover all of them. But I wanted to talk to, uh, to you about fear. You know, you've okay. written about fear, and uh, I've told you that I seen lots of people in my professional career who, because of fear, can't get out of the rut that they are in. Tell us about True. it from your perspective. Okay. Um, well, let me give you a little introduction uh, to fear from my book, Finding Unconditional Love, A Little Peace, P-E-A-C-E, at a time. And um, I wrote uh, Chapter 10, and it's called The Man in the Bedroom. Uh, and, and this is how it goes. It's relatively short, so, and then that can, we can bounce off of that one. Um, the irony about fear is that the more we focus on being safe, the more frightened we become. I grew up in a small town in a small home. There were only two bedrooms, and we got, as we got older, my brother Bobby needed his own room. So my folks converted the attic. I was about five. My parents had guests who were spending the night, a cot was set up in Bobby's room for me to sleep on while the guests used my room. It was the first night I had ever slept somewhere other than the bedroom I had always used. Okay? So the light was very different in the attic. The moonbeams came in and created strange shadows on the slanted ceiling and narrow walls, but I nestled into the clean sheets and blanket on the cot, closed my eyes, and was about to drift to sleep when something startled me. I opened my eyes and I saw a man sitting at the end of my bed rocking back and forth. He had a hat on and he sat there rocking back and forth. I froze. I was about five. Scared me to death. I stopped breathing. I did not move a muscle. I knew if I moved he would discover me. I lay there praying that the sweat dripping down my face wouldn't make a sound. The more I tried to hold my breath, the more I needed to breathe. I was I was fighting not to move, not to cough, not to cry. Then my big toe jerked. Bird song. <laughs> my big toe jerked. It just jerked. Now I don't know why it jerked, but my big toe jerked on my right foot. So I knew without a doubt that the man at the end of my bed had seen my big toe jerk under the blanket, and now he knew I was there. I didn't think. I jumped out of bed, turned on the light, and swung my little body around to meet him face to face. I was looking right at him. He was Bobby's baseball cap hanging on the rocking chair that moved each time a car went by. (laughs) When I was down in my bedroom downstairs, Nothing rocked, nothing moved, but up in the attic it did. So, But I didn't cry. I didn't laugh. I was too young to see the humor. I didn't cry. I knew I was safe. I did learn a lot. And this What'd was you learn? really what did a you lesson. Learn? Yeah, this was huge because it, 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 it has stayed with me all my life. I learned that fears are merely illusions that disappear in the light. Okay. Want to put some meat on those bones? Friends, huh? Want to put some meat on the bones of that saying? It's a good saying. Yeah. But yeah. let's hear let's more about say, it. Let's talk about your friends. that, And and I can relate to that. I have some friends who were very wealthy, and they lived in a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood. 
but they, the, the husband in particular, was not happy. He had a wonderful job, but he was afraid to leave it. The kids were, you know, 10 and 12, and so they were getting ready to be teenagers, and then they were going to be off to college, and, and you know, he there was something he wanted to do that was more artistic and was really, it would be a tremendous risk if he quit his job. Right. So they had a family discussion. And uh, because he didn't want to make a decision without any, and he included the kids. Um, the boy was 12 and, uh, and the girl was 10. And uh, they sat around the kitchen table and he really shared with them, you know. And so what they ultimately decided to do, and this took some time, but they decided to rent their nice home, find a smaller home to live in with a lot less expense all the way around, and to sell the boat and to, you know, do a variety of things to change their lifestyle. The kids didn't mind. And so they did that, and he was able to pursue what he loved. And the family supported him completely in what he was able to do. And ultimately, he made very good money off of the artistic endeavor that he wished to pursue. They overcame the fear of security and safety. They redefined what security and safety meant. And love became the nucleus of the family. And so they all supported each other and they made it work. That's a wonderful story. You know, I've told you that, you know, I spent most of my life in Washington, D.C. I was a lawyer. I worked for the U.S. government. And there are a lot of people who were in government with me who were very bright people and very accomplished lawyers. But they really wanted to go out on their own, start their own practice, but they were so afraid to give up that good government salary. I got out of the government, and I did pretty well because the government taught me a lot of things. They taught me how to speak German. They taught me how to investigate crime. They taught me how to try murder cases, and I was able to parlay that into a good practice. But some of my friends, they just ended up hating the world and hating themselves. Uh, And I would try to tell them, hey, if you just get out there and do it, and you really want to do it, you can be successful. You have to get over the fear. But most of them never did. And that's sad. Uh, You know, life is too short. We really need to, a a long time ago, years ago, Birdsong, I, I made a commitment to myself, and that was, I'm not doing anything that I can't do with love, period. And so I tell my friends, that includes the dishes, the laundry, the da 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 So they all envision my house to be absolutely chaotic. But no, I, I what I do is I wait until, oh, I feel like doing the laundry. Okay, so I'll go do the laundry, and I can whistle while I work, so to speak, instead of feeling like I'm obligated to do it now, and I have to get it done, and it's every Monday, and it's every, you know. No, we need to really stop and think. What can we do with love and do as much of that as we possibly can in our lives? And it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in the quality of our lives. All right. Tell us about your book. I'm sure the audience would like to hear more about it. I've got it. I'm reading it. I've read much of it. But tell us well, about it, think? Jeannie. What do you think of the book? 
I think it's well written. I think it has a lot of good things in it. You're good writers, matter of fact. Well, thank you very much. Okay, I was wondering. I wanted, I wanted to get your opinion of it, and I, I hope that wasn't just because we're on air that you said that. But um, no, 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 no. I, I read a lot of books, and I talk to people about them, and I liked your style. You have you use color and language, and I like what I saw. Well, good. Thank you. Um, well, the the book is called Finding Unconditional Love, A Little Piece at a Time. It really is autobiographical. Um, my dad was um, very abusive in a lot of ways as I was growing up, and um, he became uh, my greatest Buddha, my greatest teacher spiritually, mm-hmm. because I needed to overcome, you know, my... Uh, dislike of him, and, and I think even hatred of him at some point in my life. And so um, it's basically the book is about my journey to forgiveness, uh, divine forgiveness and divine love and unconditional love, and many, many, many other things that happened in my lifetime and the things that I overcame. Um, and hopefully it is of benefit to a lot of folks um, if they're struggling with all different kinds of issues in their lives. So... Um, where can they get so, it? Where can they get the book? Well, uh, the, the book, I wrote the book initially about five years ago, and it's currently on Amazon.com, but I'm, I've redone it. There's some uh, changes that I've made to it. So the newest edition is now at the printer and should be coming out at the end of this month. So if anybody wants to get it, I really hope they wait for a little while and get the revised edition because um, it's stronger in a lot of ways. Uh, than, again, than the, the first, again, first the title? Finding Unconditional Love, A Little Peace, P-E-A-C-E, at a time. All Finding right. Unconditional Love, All A Little right. Peace at a Time. Glad you got that out. Jeannie, it's so good talking to you again. Got to go now, and we'll talk okay. in the future, okay? This is Birdsong, okay. folks. Uh, stick with us. I've got the answers to those riddles before we end the show. Thanks, Jeannie Santa, for coming on. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen. song back with you uh almost the end of the show i want to give you a paul harvey story i love paul harvey he was a great broadcaster his son wrote a number of more rest of the story stories for him which he read on the air and i want you to hear some of them this one is called the end if television as a forum for talent chews up the talented and spits them out it's the nature of the medium Even a quarter of a century ago, gifted performing artists were falling from the screen by the wayside because they couldn't compete with the heavyweights, Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Red Skelton. You can't even remember last season's failures. Could you ever remember this one? His break came in 1955. The limit of his network television exposure had been 
a substitution spot for an ailing star. It had been, it had been just enough exposure. The reviews were good. Soon everyone in the industry was speculating on the future of this promising new talent. Within days, he was approached by CBS executives in charge of programming. How would he like his own primetime show? Trying hard to suppress his spontaneous enthusiasm, the young performer asked what the executives had in mind. Something along the lines of the George Goebel show, they said. At the time, George Goebel was at the height of his popularity. His format represented what the viewers wanted, fast-paced variety revolving around an amiable central personality. The young performer accepted. Within two months, a pilot was shot for CBS. It looked good. And the Fletching star was signed. During those first weeks on the air, ratings did not meet expectations. Reviewers were mixed. A global imitation, they said. CBS panicked, calling in their star. The show wasn't flashy enough, wasn't important enough. Starting immediately, a string of gaudy chorus girls would greet the audience, would introduce the star. The star would burst through a curtain of balloons. Keep it moving. There would be more and more lavish production numbers, replete with fake fog rising from the sets. In other words, if a global imitation wasn't working, Perhaps a Gleason imitation would. Humbly, the young performer deferred to the network's judgment, and in 39 weeks the show was canceled. Another bright new talent had bitten the dust and dropped into obscurity. Word spread throughout the television industry like wildfire. He was what, <clears throat> he was what no one wanted, a risky commodity. His agency, William Morris, did not put up a fight. Instead, they put him on the back burners, appeased him with vague promises of soap opera roles and such. Next season, perhaps, or the season after that. The not-so-subtle message was there. The end. As far as television was concerned, he was out. Through. There would be, there would be the second-rate nightclubs or nothing at all. Somewhere amid the dusty archives which house the history of television, there is a forgotten file drawer full of dreams which went up in smoke. But there is the rest of the story. The rejected suitor for the affections of the nation, the performer who fizzled in 1956, the TV talent you turned out a quarter of a century ago, returned to do it his way, to turn you on as few entertainments in history have done. The flop of the 50s, in the top of the 70s and 80s was Johnny Carson. Now you know the rest of the story. This is Birdsong. I like that. All right, I want to give you the answers to the riddles. I don't know if you solved them. The first one, what starts with a P, ends with E, and has a thousand letters? The post office. <laughs> it starts with P, ends with E, and has a thousand letters. The post office. Second, how do cats get over a fight? How do cats get over a fight? Well, they hiss and make up, folks. <laughs> Finally, did you hear the one about the guy that invented breath fresheners? What do you think the answer to this would be? 
Did you hear about the guy that invented breath fresheners? He made a mint. <laughs> he made a mint. All right, it's been great being with you. Let me give you some final words of wisdom. Leaders must learn to discipline their disappointments. It is not what happens to us. It is what we choose to do about what happens that makes the difference in how our lives turn out. Think about that, folks. This is Birdsong. Be back with you next week. Stay tuned.